Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. first reading today comes from the Gospel of John. I'll be reading from the 13th chapter, beginning with the 34th verse. As we come to this passage, let us first join together in prayer. Gracious God, You are God. So it is Your Word and Your Word alone that is life for us. So we pray, O God, that You would speak to us through these ancient words that have been gifted to us By your Spirit, let them become a living word in our own lives. We are here, O God. We are listening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's listen now for God's word for us. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen.
Our second reading comes from 1 Corinthians. I'll be reading from the first chapter, verses uh, 10 through 17. Uh, Paul is not happy with the Christians in Corinth, and he speaks to him about it here. Let's listen. Now, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is, each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might be emptied of its power. The grass withers flower fades. The Word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. What do you want to be known for? Rosa Parks was known for sitting down and not getting back up. Neil Armstrong, he's known for one small step. George Brett, he's known for showing just a bit of emotion when a emotion when a home run was taken away from him because of pine tar curses Billy Martin. Dr. Bob, he was known for be of good cheer. What do you want to be known for? And what about us at Village? What are we known for? What should we be known for? For the next couple of weeks, I'm preaching a series village being village. I want to reflect on some attributes of who we are as a church. You are generous to this church. Some of you every year, some of you every month, some of you every week, you reach into your pocket or your portfolio and you make a gift to village to help us be villaged and help us to extend the impact of our ministry. Why do you do that? What is it about village that's worth supporting? A way to ask that question is, what should we be known for? Jesus told his followers what he wanted them, what he wanted us to be known for. He said, the world will know that you belong to me, that you follow me by your love for one another. It's interesting. He didn't say, the world will know that you are my followers by your love for the world. He said, they'll know you are my followers by your love for one another. What would it mean for folks in your family or in this community and beyond to say, you know, those folks over at Village, they must be, they must be Christian. Look how they treat each other. That would be great. It also is not that easy. 
one of the frequent teachings in Scripture is that love, as sweet and gracious and warm as it is, is hard work. Because love, as a theological statement, love, as understood in Christian faith, is not a statement of how we feel. Love, as Clint Black sang, is something that we do. To say we love one another is not a statement of a feeling, but a reflection of how we treat one another. And because love is something that we do, the Bible reports that time and again the followers of Jesus struggled to love. They failed at this important work. Paul says this Corinthian church was not known for how they love each other, but they were known for being fractious and divisive and squabbling. Some were boasting that they were baptized by Paul. Others were boasting they were baptized by Apollos or Cephas, as if one pastor does a better baptism than another. I was baptized by Reverend Melanie Hardison. Well, I was baptized by Roger Nishioka. He has a Ph.D. It drove Paul crazy. He says, I'm so glad I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and, and Gaius. I don't want you thinking I baptized. Well, I also baptized the house of Stephanus because it was silly to him. It was ridiculous. Who baptized you didn't matter. Paul tells them a little later, you're acting like children. I, I can't give you solid food because you're spiritual infants. This is one of the places, but it's hardly the only place, where Paul teaches that a basic trait of Christian faith is that when people really trust their lives to the ways of Christ, they treat each other with love. There's a sense that we are in it together, that Christ has knitted us one to another. Now, Paul actually talked about this all the time. He did because, because it's really important and because it's obviously hard. If it wasn't, he wouldn't have to talk about it all the time. I was baptized by Zach Walker. Oh, I wanted him, but he wasn't liturgist on that Sunday. You didn't get Tom, did you? No, thank goodness. I was baptized by Sally Wright. Who baptizes you hardly seems like a thing. We might wonder if behind all this teaming up, there was something deeper at stake, something more significant, because as divisions go, whether you were baptized by Apollos or Cephas or Paul hardly seems important, which I think may be exactly the point. You know, as human beings, we're a lot alike. We, we take care of our kids and we worry about aging parents. We rake our leaves and we show up for school plays or ball games. We make plans for dinner and we binge on Netflix. We want a better world and every now and then we just need a nap. We're a lot alike. But it seems that dividing comes really easily. It's common for us to 
to choose teams. This is our team, and we aren't them. And, and one of the things about choosing teams is it becomes pretty common also to not just want my team to win, but to celebrate when your team loses. You know this. If you're a wildcat, you not only want State to win, but you want whoever plays KU to win. You want KU to get trounced. And sometimes when KU gets beat, it, it's sweeter than even if State wins. Obviously, I'm talking about basketball. For KU to lose in football, it doesn't really matter. Ezra Klein, in his book, Why We Are Polarized, he suggests that we choose to choose, when we choose teams, when we make those divisions, we may not need for there to actually be a reason for us to hate the other team. We just hate them because they're not us. Oh, we'll create reasons as justifications, but do we really need them? He says we really don't. In Corinth, it doesn't really appear that they had reasons for teams. They just had teams. I was baptized by Apollos. I'm on Apollos' team. Why would they even talk about that? Why would it matter? Because that's what we do. And it's innocent enough. It is. It's innocent enough until, until the division creates the space for hatred. I don't just want, I don't just want to win. I want you to lose. That's not gospel. Better place, worse place. That was the bargain the Vietnamese interrogator at Hoa Prison made constantly with U.S. Navy Lieutenant Porter Halliburton. Halliburton was shot down over Vietnam, and he was not he was not the type to easily offer military information in interrogations, and so usually the bargain ended up in a worse place. He was moved often in the dead of night to a smaller cell or a darker cell or one without a bed. His last worst place, he was moved back to the cell in which he started, but this time he had to share a cell with Major Fred Cherry, who had been horribly injured when he too was shot down. Halliburton was a white man from Davidson, North Carolina. Major Cherry was a descendant of Virginia slaves. It was 1965. Cherry was critically wounded, and Halliburton would either have to take care of him or let him die. And either way, the Vietnamese knew enough about racism in the United States that they counted on this living arrangement being the worst possible place. At first, they were right conversation between the two came slowly, trust even more slowly, but things changed. My father was Lieutenant Halliburton's pastor in Atlanta, and Halliburton said that many of the POWs had to cross racial and cultural and even social boundaries just to exist. But he said he and Fred Cherry didn't just exist together in that cell. He said, without each other, they wouldn't have made it. Both of them credit the other with saving 
their life. In that worst place, they forged a friendship that no enemy could shatter. Now look, here's what I bet. I bet had you been in that cell, you would have done the same thing. I see nothing miraculous here. I actually see this as the norm. Our nation, our city, some families are divided with an almost unscalable wall erected between us. But if some worse thing, some natural disaster were to hit, we, we would lay all of that down. We would forget all of that. We would be reminded that we are in it together, and we would take care of one another. We, we would be motivated by a love for one another. We would. So I wonder, what would it take for us to treat one another like that without the disaster? Ezra Klein says, one of the things we have to overcome is our fear. He, he says that when we, when we create divisions with one another, when we divide from one another, we pretty quickly become afraid of one another. This is my own experience. Whenever we encounter another person that just in my own mind, in my own, my own gut, I register to them as somewhat, somehow, some way different from me, some other. It's harder for me to see their full humanity, and it's easy for me to become afraid of them. Klein says it's our most primal instinct. And so when we're afraid, it is it is obvious that that's going to affect how we see the world and how we see others. I know you've been listening to the campaigns. You can't escape it. But it's not just the campaigns. You listen to Fox or MSNBC. Listen to those crazy guys on talk radio. They want you to be afraid. They want division, and they want you not only to want to win, they want you to want other Americans to lose. They want you to be afraid. So let me ask you, how afraid are you? How is your fear shaping the way you look at the world, the way you look at one another? Because here's what I know. When we're afraid, it's not very easy to be our best self. When we're afraid, it's pretty easy to want ill for the other. We're never our best self when we're afraid. When we're afraid, it's easy to miss the humanity of the other. If I understand the text, that's why Paul says, don't give in to petty divisions. Look, now, petty divisions in and of themselves, they're harmless. They are. But those divisions are what create the, the place for hatred to be born. And we don't always need reason for it. Oh, we'll come up with reasons, but we don't really need it. Those divisions, as silly as it sounds, 
That's why Paul gets so worked up about them just arguing about who baptized them, because these divisions provide the place where hatred is born. Jesus said the best way to let people know that he is alive in the world is for us to love one another. Don't let divisions, even petty ones, define us. Continue to look for the humanity in each other. Let that love, as Scripture says in another place, cast out the fear. Do you get this? That Jesus is saying this is our mission. This is what the world needs from us, to be a people so committed to each other that the world looks and says, that's what Christianity looks like. This is our mission. Just this past week, just this past week, I got a note from someone in our church family, and she said, I've been going to church all my life, but it's really only in the last four years that I've been part of the life of Village Church that I've really felt like I was part of church. Look, my mom died. And when she did, I started getting calls, sometimes from people I didn't even know, just checking to see if I was okay. I wasn't okay, but the calls helped. And then someone said I could get a Stephen minister, and I did. And talking to her, I think talking to her is what held me together. Now, you know, my Stephen minister and I, we're not that much alike. And the truth is, I think had I met her in some other setting, I I don't think we would have become friends. But now... I count her as one of my most significant relationships, and I'm writing to let you know that I'm ready to be the strong one for someone who might need me now. That's what Jesus is talking about. Don't let petty divisions divide you. Love one another. That's what he wants us to be known for. In a world that wants us to be afraid of one another, It wouldn't be a bad thing for folks to say, do you see those folks over at Village? Do you see how they care for one another? Jesus said, that's our first job. That's our first job. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.